don't know if they make these anymore. Do they still make butter rum lifesavers? They taste terrible, but she used to give them to me at church. But uh, I guess they were so bad they made you shut up because you just sat there and you... But you can find something, but uh, let's open up the word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And as we'll get into the book of Ephesians today, we pray that, Lord, you would just bless our time and bless our families. Most of all, Lord, we pray that you'd continue just to glorify your name. That's why we're here. Uh, thank you for the privilege to get together. Thank you for those that were able to come for breakfast this morning and those that brought items to share. Uh, Lord, may they just experience just a glimpse of what it was like in the book of Acts when the church came together and just loved on each other. And may we just continue to do that this morning as we open your word. May it uh, encourage us and strengthen us. And Lord, our resolve to just to know you better and to love and serve you more as we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. We all agreed saying amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I won't have you stand, but uh, I titled this morning's message, it's in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, most of us are pretty familiar with it, uh, Paul's Parenting Philosophy. And uh, Paul has a, you know, a very, very unique, I mean, for as uh, intellectual as the Apostle Paul was, uh, to think that he gave us a very, very simple outline for parenting here in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read it to you and you can follow along. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. You know, I think about this, I've read this chapter probably uh, as much or more than I've read any chapter in the Bible. My, my wife and I, Lee, we've been married for 36 years and uh, we've got uh, three beautiful children and we've got uh, three out of the oven grandchildren, one in the oven, and then one uh, that we'll receive into our family uh, with all benefits and blessings this next year when our youngest son uh, gets married and his fiancee has a, a child from a previous marriage. And so uh, we'll uh, adopt her into our family and uh, she'll become just one of our own. And uh, so uh, when I think about you know, life and, and life in the Lord, you know, obviously every family uh, is in some ways because of Adam and Eve. If you go all the way back to the garden, we are dysfunctional because of the fall of Adam and Eve. What happened? Sin came into the world and sin touched all of our lives. We've never known paradise. We're being redeemed for paradise and Jesus one day will come back and take us home. We'll experience paradise. But how many recognize today this ain't heaven? Yeah, there's a few of us. Uh, there you go. That's not. And yet, you know, there's hope as we study through the Bible together you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, again, he wants uh, us to know. And again, you might be here today and go, well, I'm not married. You go, well, you're not married, but you're a kid. If you belong uh, to Christ, you are his child. He's your heavenly father. And so there's not a person here who this can't relate to this morning, uh, whether you're a father, a mother, whether you're a child, there is something uh, for each and every one of us. I always love talking to parents because parents learn things, you know, there's truths that aren't in the Bible. Everything in the Bible is true, but there's truth outside the Bible. There's some practical wisdom. I, I'll go backwards on these, you know, practical wisdom from parents. If you aren't a parent and you're going to become one, these are things that you might want to uh, write down or lock into your memory bank, or if you are a young parent, uh, these are things just to remember and hold on to. And I, I loved it. There was a few of them here. Uh, we'll go seven of them I'll give you here this morning. There was tons more. First and foremost, if you have a newborn child, and, and it says, when pouring out your guts to the baby at 3 a.m. in the morning, make sure the nursery monitor is in the off position. <laughs> 
always end the ABC song, we had to do this, thanks for singing this with me, not next time won't you sing with me, because if you sing it that way, you will continue to sing it and you want this thing to end. So there's some really good wisdom there. This was one only men could really enjoy. Uh, Fill a pinata with mushrooms and then sit back and watch your children learn a cruel but valuable lesson about real life. (laughs) You don't always get what you want. I guess that's the, the lesson there. Uh, When your kids start crying, start bawling harder and louder. I've tried this. It works. It says soon they'll stop crying and they'll turn their concerns to your welfare. What I've learned is that's only if you have a a daughter or a granddaughter. Your your son, son, they don't care. They just keep, they're just like, get over it, you know. I like this one. I think this one works too. I've never tried this, but I've seen it. Uh, When you take your kids to a pumpkin patch, let them pick out any pumpkin that they want, but make them carry it to the car. They'll never want to go back again, okay? This is a very, very critical, important truth. Never take a toddler's word for it, okay? Some of they said it, and this is my all-time favorite one, and there's personal reasons behind this, but uh, this is the number one answer when you think about practical experience one parent can give to another. Never take your children to Disneyland until everyone can pee on their own, okay? <laughs> I'm not, you know. Let me ask you a real serious question, though, by a show of hands. How many of you today would agree that the American family is under attack? Yeah, it is. Whether, and this is whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, family is under attack in this country. But more so, obviously, if you have a love for God and, and is for his word and for people in general, then you're really, really under attack here. Um, there's so many statistics. You've probably read and heard things like this, you know, that uh, in our fractured world, I share often from this pulpit that we're, we're broken people and we live in a broken world and we live amongst other broken people. It's why it's one of the great beauties of the church is to comfort one another. You know, there's, there's probably not a pain that uh, any one of us have experienced that is so unique that no one else can relate to it. And sometimes when you are, open up, uh, are opening up about that hurt or that struggle that you're going through and you share it with somebody else, all of a sudden it starts to make sense in, in the senseless ways of life that, wow, you know, God got you through it. And then he used that pain, that old expression, God never wastes a hurt. He uses it to minister to other people. We, we share it often here for Paul's admonishment to the church at Corinth. You know, we comfort one another with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. It's not comforting each other per se. It's comforting one another with the comfort that we receive from God. And so what are we doing? As I shared with you last week, you know, if you didn't get anything out of the message, there's two things you know, that I was hoping that you would, that in all of our lives, we always have the ability that when any conversation we have with a person is that you try to do one of two things or both. One is encourage them, you know, or you can't encourage people too much. And secondly is, is point them to Jesus. No matter what's, what you do is just point them to Jesus in whatever way, shape, or form. Because people feel like, ah, I just feel like a failure when it comes to, you know, as Charlie will be here next week. He's an apologetist. He teaches us how to defend our faith, to be able to give a reason for the hope that's, that's within you. And so yeah, it's, we love having him come and love having him share because it's a tremendous benefit to us to learn how to share our faith with others. But anybody can really do it with great success. All you have to do is decide, you know what, hey, this, this person I'm talking with, I want to encourage them and I want to point them to Jesus. And that's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For those of you that go, well, where is that biblically? 
First Corinthians chapter three, some watered, some planted, but who's the one who saves people? God. He's the one who gives the increase. So it's having joy in our relationship. Some of us cop out of, of a commandment. It wasn't an option when Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. But some of us, we've known the Lord for a long time and we never do it because we feel, well, I'm not called or it's not my gift. And it never mentioned anything about being a gift. It's a calling in all of our lives. We have a responsibility. And all of us can encourage people. All of us can encourage people to take a step closer to Jesus. We just have to do what? It has to be in our mind. It has to be a priority in our life. And that's very much of what Paul is talking about here. But here's some statistics that, that are kind of alarming. If you think about this, every eight seconds of a school day, a child drops out of school. You know, unfortunately, you know, I, as I've spent the last few months, every day, you know, someplace in our community talking with people on the street, getting to know many of our homeless population. I wish I could know them all, you know, by name. Uh, I, I am learning, and it's been really, really a joy over the last month. I've learned that most of the homeless people know our church. And they will say, when I say Calvary Chapel, they'll go, oh, Pastor Mike. And, uh, and I said, yeah, there's, there's a few of us. So they go, yeah, I've heard there's five of you. They go, so they go, but you're not the Mike that I talked to. And I go, no, I know this one of these other. I go, is he the tall one, the short one? You know, and, uh, and, and it's funny, every time they talk to a, a different one or, you know, and, and it's just one of those things where, you know, it's unfortunate when you get to hear people's story and you realize they go, I can't get a job because I dropped out of school when I was a kid. And you think, well, you know, you should have been responsible. And they go, well, if you realize, you know, I went through 13 foster homes because my parents, you know, never took possession of me, you know, as a child. And, uh, you know, I got bruised and battered and I was, you know, being utilized for, you know, resource in somebody's life. It wasn't because they loved me or they cared for me. And all of a sudden, you know, your heart breaks for people. And you realize, you know, it's not, it's not always what you think. You know, a lot of times you think, oh, they just made really bad choices. And you go, no, sometimes people made the bad choice for them. And yet, still, here we are in this world, you know, Jesus has given us an opportunity to provide hope for people. And it's one of the great blessings. So I, I think of that a lot. Eight seconds uh, of every day, a, a student drops out of school. 26, every 26 seconds, uh, a student or child runs away from home. Every 47 seconds, a child is either abused or neglected. Uh, every seven minutes, uh, uh, someone under the age of 18 is arrested. And every 36 minutes, a child is either hurt or killed by a gun in this country. You know, there, there's a tremendous struggle, you know, when it comes to family and comes to life. You know, and I ask myself, you know, as a question, is it possible that people aren't following God's plan? When you, when you hear those things, you go, is it kind of obvious that people are, they're not, they're not adhering to the word of God. They're not seeking God. And, and they're just making their own choices. And, and maybe we're here today and you go, I want to be the captain of my ship or I want to be the person in charge. And, and uh, you know, if that's the way that it worked best, then Jesus would have never come. He would have never come to this world. He, he came to die for our sins because we're lost without him. And again, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and, and how many by a show of hands, you'd say parenting is a very humbling experience. And by a show of hands, you go, yeah. Uh, if there's anything that I've looked back over life and I probably had re a regret over, uh, it's been parenting more than anything else. There's a lot of things in life, you know, that I regret and I look back with regrets too and go, man, if I could do that differently, you know, I, I share with you often, you know, that expression, you know, if I only knew then what? 
what I know now, yeah, you know, go, life would be different. But I also realized even if I went back, guess what? I'd have made a whole bunch of different mistakes. You know, that's just how it is. You know, I might have not made this, that same mistake, but I would have made something else. And so it's learning to be content in that and, and appreciating God's sovereignty and God's grace, that his grace is so amazing where sin abounded, grace did all the more, amen? And so there's probably no area, like I said, than in parenting where we really need the help of God. You know, and I, and I really believe this morning, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. Larry was talking about that. We need the Spirit to fall, and we really do in our lives. Uh, we need his, his strength. We need his power. We need his wisdom that he provides for us. You know, our, our Heavenly Father loves us so much, and he wants us to be fruitful and to be successful in this life. And part of that comes with being a family. You know, the book of Ephesians, you know, the first three chapters deal with, if you study this book out, deals with learning about our position in Christ. And then the last three chapters deal with our walk or our work uh, in, in our relationship with God. And it's really important that we understand that, that everything stems from a relationship. You know, we have an identity crisis, I think most of us would agree in this country. You know, people don't even know who they are. And so first and foremost, understanding who we are in God, that we belong to him. And if you're not in Christ today, that he wants you to become his children. That's the beauty of being born again. One of the great things in Roman law, if you go back and study world history, was that adopted children had even greater rights than biological children. And I don't know if that was by God's design, just supernaturally, but you'd think, well, how do they have greater rights? You go, well, you know, if you were a child, biologically, your parents could put you away. If they got tired of you or you were rebellious, we see that in the book of Deuteronomy, you know, the Jews could do it, Deuteronomy chapter 20 and chapter 21. If a child was rebellious, it says they were, they were a, a, a drunkard or a glutton and they were rebellious over a long period of time, they could bring uh, their children before the Jewish authorities and they would actually stone them. And they would, this is where, remember Jesus in John chapter 8, when he comes and he says, you know, he who knows no sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, he's referring back to that law in Deuteronomy because the parents would have to throw that first stone. You couldn't just be mad at your kids and go, hey, you know, we're tired of them. You guys do this. The, the elders, they were too smart. They'd go, okay, we'll stand with you. We will stand in unison. We will stand in one. But you have to throw the first stone. And when you throw the first stone, then we will join with you. You won't be alone in this, okay? And so that was under law. But if you were adopted... There was, there was a whole different set of circumstances. It was that you couldn't, if you adopted a child, that child not only had all rights and privileges as if they were your own, you couldn't have them for a while like, you know, we'd do with cars years ago. We had the lemon law, right? You get the car and what happens? Or they call it the cooling off period, right? You get the car home and then you go, oh my gosh, did you see the payment on this thing, honey? What are we doing? And two days later, you're trying to drive the thing back. Well, they changed the laws. And they changed the laws years ago under Roman law. If you were adopted... You are secure in that family. Well, guess what? If you're in Christ today, you've been adopted into his family, and you're secure in his love. His love doesn't change. He's loved you with an everlasting love. Even while we were enemies, the Bible says of the cross, Christ died for us. And his invitation today was if you would come to him and you'd confess that you're a sinner and that he's a savior, he would receive you to himself. And he would adopt you into his family. Not to have you for a little bit and then, eh, and then kick you to the curb. But to love you and care for you, admonish you. You know, I have a prayer, you know, this morning. It's pretty simple. You know, I, I think about this, you know, all morning. 
is that you know, God would, would use something that, that I'm sharing here this morning that he would speak to your heart that in a sense, you know, I could pour something from my cup into your cup, that I could give uh, from my overflow into you, that I could decrease, that you could increase today. You know, that you, as you leave this place, that you can leave encouraged in your relationship with God, no matter where you're at, that you would find encouragement in him and that today you'd make a decision, no matter if you think you're a good parent or you're not a good parent uh, or you've made mistakes, you know, I'll join you in all those things, but that you can take a step closer to Jesus today. You can determine today, you go, whatever the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind, those things that he'll quicken to you, you know, he will help you accomplish that could be a phone call, that could be a letter, that could be, you know, a hug, that could be a personal, you know, conversation that you have, it could be sitting down having a meal. Uh, there's a bazillion things, you know, that, that could happen. But the key is, is just trust God. Go with what the Holy Spirit leads you to do today. Understand, you know, how many by a show of hands you are a parent that's in here today? You're a mom or a dad, you know, that are here. There's a lot of you. You know, I think back to something Billy Graham once said. He said, children will talk and eat and walk and think and respond and act just like their parents. He said, so moms and dads, give them a goal to work for, a target to aim at, and a pattern that they can see clearly, and you will give them something that gold and silver cannot buy. And it's so true. You know, that you, of all the things that you could give your kids is a clear pathway to the very throne of God. For again, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? There's nothing more valuable than the souls of your family and your friends and the people that you come in contact with. And we can't lose sight of that. And sometimes that helps us with that in mind to go, hey, there's a bigger yes. And sometimes then we need to say no to other things. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. You know, I want you to understand something. There, there's stages of parenting um, we'll get into this more, and we'll probably end up having a Saturday seminar that I hope it'll minister, especially to younger parents, but even older as well. Even for someone my, myself, my kids are grown and they're out of the house, but I have grandbabies. You ever, how many are grandparents in here, by the way? That grandparenting is like a do-over, isn't it? You know, and, and you know, we say things, you know, like this, and, and half kiddingly, I guess, you know, you go, I saw a sign the other day at the car wash that said, you know, if I realized how good, you know, grandkids, you know, were, I would have had them first, you know, and then you go, and, and I, I get all that stuff, but you know, but it is a, an opportunity to learn things and it's by God's grace, but realize, you know, uh, your kids are giving you grace, letting you even be with your grandkids because your kids knew what you did with them. Okay. So they have to believe in grace too to give you a do-over as well. And sometimes we need to have those conversations. But, uh, you know, to be able to feed our, our, our kids the Word of God, you know, we, we study this a lot. You know, Larry did a, a message years ago on this, and we bring it up periodically. Proverbs uh, chapter 22, verse 6, you know, it says, Train a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. And you remember, if you were in that study, and Larry was talking about, you know, Unfortunately, people use that as a name it and claim it verse. Like if you just take them to church all their life, guess what's going to happen? You just know it. They're going to have a little season where they're going to walk away from God. But hey, guess what? They're going to come back. And you, know, and you go, that's a lie. Larry didn't lie. You know, it, Larry was telling us that's what people do. They believe that and that's a lie. No, what, it, what it's saying is that it, really reemphasizing what Billy Graham was saying was that you would 
love your kids enough to give them consistently on a day-to-day basis the word of God, that you would pray with them, that you would pray for them, that they would see in me and you a faith that's real, that, again, you'd, that would be something they'd experience their whole life to the point that they couldn't walk away from it because in the truest sense, they don't know anything else. That's what God's saying. If they don't know anything else, you don't have to worry about it. That's all they know. But don't be the kind of parent that wants to just simply expose them to everything, thinking that's going to make them a more rounded person. What you're going to do is you're going to dilute it. And, and that's not what we want to do. We want to bring them up in the training of the Lord. I love this, uh, uh, this quote from years ago. It says, if a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with fear, he learns to be apprehensive. If a child lives with pity, he learns to feel sorry for himself. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with jealousy, he learns to feel envy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. But if a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns to be confident. If a child lives with praise, he learns to be appreciative. If a child lives with acceptance, he learns to love. If a child lives with approval, they learn to like themselves. If a child lives with honesty, he learns what truth is. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If children live with recognition, they learn to have a goal. If children live with sharing, they learn to be generous. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith in himself and those about him. If a child lives with friendliness, he learns the world is a nice place in which to live. You know, and again, how much truth of that, you, you, you can determine that yourself, but what a privilege, what a responsibility we have as parents. You know, I love that old poem that said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And you think about it, the, the influence of, of a godly father, of a godly mother. You know, verse one, it says, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. You know, you, you think about what the Apostle Paul is addressing here. He's talking to children first, right? So if your kid's here, this is where you listen up. This is the Apostle Paul in his four-point message on, on, on biblical parenting for moms and dads and children. This is his message. You know, you, you know that old expression, the family that prays together stays together? Yeah, it really is true, is that the, there's a spiritual relationship here that the Apostle Paul is driving home. You know, the Greek word for children there in Ephesians 6, it, it applies to children of any age. So if you are uh, a parent today and your children are grown and they're living outside of the house, guess what? They're still your kids. And you still have a right and you still have a responsibility to be able to speak into their lives. The Greek word for obey there, it really speaks of, and it's an important word, it speaks of a soldier who's engaged in battle and he's receiving or she's receiving instruction from their commanding officer that's life or death. So how do you think you're listening you know, when you're receiving information that's regarding life and death? Your ears are open. You, you are paying attention. And that's what he says to, to children, that you are to listen to your parents with that kind of intent because guess what? As I asked as the service opened, are we living in, you know, crazy times, you know, in this world today? Are, are these difficult times for families? Are families under attack? And we go, yes. And you go, then guess what? You need to listen up. Uh, this, this world, you know, is getting, and it's not, you know, that we take a, a pessimistic attitude. It's getting worse as time goes on. It has nothing to do with just the world or the church. We're seeing it in both avenues in, with regard to life as we reach the, the end of times here. 
And so it's important that we understand, he says, you know, in the Lord. So again, if you're in the Lord today, you are a Christian, you are a believer, you've placed your hope and trust in Jesus, you've found forgiveness at the cross. You understand, as Jason was saying, Easter changes everything, and it does, uh, that all of a sudden you're going, you know what, uh, then God has a, a high call that is placed upon our life. And so when it says in the Lord, there's an implication there. If you're a, a child today, that's all of us are, are children, even with regard to our personal relationship with God, that we would trust him. That God doesn't have to prove himself again. He's already proven it. Is there any more that he can do than the cross to demonstrate his love and his care, his forgiveness, I mean, his desire to provide for us? Whatever it is that we need, the cross and the empty tomb are the proof. And so, again, as we look at this, you know, we need to understand, you know, that as parents, especially, you want to think about this, and the Apostle Paul is, is talking about this relationship, and we talk about modeling, and we talk about practice. Remember Jesus said, he said, let your yes be yes, and your no what? Be no. And you go, and that's a, a consistency, a, a continuity. And you might be here today, you know, as a student. How many, how many kids are in here? Not kids of the, your Heavenly Father, we all are that, that are in Christ today. But here, here, you, you're a a student, you're a child, you're a youth, young adult that, that's here in the sanctuary, raise your hand. I want to make sure, okay, there's a few of you. Good, and I'm glad you guys are here. I want you to understand this. And this is a true story. It's sad. It's a sad true story. There was a mom. She was chasing after her five-year-old daughter. She was chasing her down the sidewalk. And you could hear her saying, no, honey, no, honey, no, honey. And the, and the child kept running. She ran off the sidewalk and she stepped in front of a bus, and the bus hit her and killed her. And you think about, you know, what was the mother saying? The mother was running behind her, yelling what? No, honey, no, honey, no, honey. That something, you know, is in those words. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Now, I can't, you know, I have no idea what went on in that family. But I do know this, when children grow up, you know, in a flip-flop family where it's yes one day and it's no the next day, then what you have is insecurity. Or you have that, oh, you didn't really mean it. They're not really serious about it. But so understand this as, as youth, as children, when your parents say yes, yes is yes and no is no. And it, and it can't be stressed any more than that. That's a, hopefully a vivid picture for you as to, you know, your parents love you and they want the best for you. And sometimes, you know, again, you're going to have to trust them. Are you going to understand it? No, not necessarily. You know, and it, one of the things when I think about, you know, uh, again, you know, how we approach this, you know, look at verse two, it says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And there's basically two explanations for this thought, you know, which is the first commandment with a promise. So Paul is, he's drawing some insight from the fifth commandment there. And you think about what he's saying there is to honor uh, your parents, because it's not just that when you think about uh, there's a promise that comes with it. What would be the promise that the apostle Paul is telling us here? And we read it in, in context here is that it's not necessarily that you're going to be provided with long life because that's not true. Children die. They die at young ages, and, and some live, you know, full, complete lives. But what it's talking about is the quantity of your life, or the quality, excuse me, not the quantity of your life. The, when you think about the quality of your life, of living in peace, not being in trouble, you know, not being, you know, disciplined, not being, you know, 
How many of you kids that are in here today have ever had a timeout? Raise your hand. You had a timeout. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> hey, we got extra hands on that one. Even adults, yeah, it just happens, you know. Yeah, how, how many dads have got timeouts, that, you know? <laughs> Go to your room, yeah. But understand, you know, what, what Paul is doing here. You know, he's writing to a church in the midst of a, a pagan Roman culture. And he's wanting, you know, children to understand, you know, that, you know, Father knows best. And again, which is all by the Holy Spirit pointing us back to our relationship with God our Father. That he has our best interest in mind. You can read the book of Hebrews that explains this to us, that his love and his discipline, even the chastening. He said, our, you know, our earthly fathers did what was best. They, they did their best. But our heavenly father says, what child doesn't he receive that he doesn't discipline? Because he cares about us. And he wants us to have a great quality of life. Just doing what you please will never bring you the kind of life that you ultimately would hope for. Again, just some passages if you want to write these down and go back and read them about, you know, the, the cursing that, that happens. I don't mean in profanity, the curses upon someone's life. Leviticus 20, verse 9, I'll read this one for you. It says, for everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. This is Old Testament law. It says, he has cursed his father, his mother, his blood shall be upon him. And like I was sharing with you, you can read Deuteronomy chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 21. And it just deals with children who are rebellious over long periods of time here, okay? And uh, again, the second explanation, you know, thinking this through, is found in verse four. It says that it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. Remember back in Exodus 20 verse 12, uh, God's instructing Moses with the Ten Commandments. And he says in verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that the days may be long upon the land uh, the Lord your God has given you. So he was talking about both a quantity of life, but also, and more important, a quality of life. We know that because in John chapter 10, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, the enemy, right? Satan comes to steal and to kill and destroy. He wants to destroy your life. But Jesus said, but I've come to do what? To give you life. How many by a show of hands, you say, you know what? Since I have come to Jesus Christ, I am experiencing a better quality of life. Would you, would you agree with that? Amen. God is so good. And you go, and, and this John would write, are the commandments of God burdensome? No. They're all good. The problem is I can't keep them. I can't keep them on my own. That's why I need God. That's why I need forgiveness. That's why I need the Holy Spirit to live. Again, so we don't, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in that respect. You go, what do we do? We rely on the power that God gives us to live a victorious life. I can't live this life apart from him. But we all can do all things through Christ who does what? Who strengthens us. Yeah. So important, you know, that we get that. And again, a life, you might write that down, a life that is rich in quality, not necessarily long in quantity there. Obey your parents, you know, kids that are here, those of us that are in Christ, even when you don't understand what's going on. Because guess what? Even as parents, we don't understand. I'm always reminded, uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias tells this story, and other people have shared it as well. He's called The Man and His Horse. He said, this story is told of an Eastern folklore of this man who lost his horse that ran away. When the horse ran away, his neighbor came to him and he said, you know, bad luck, isn't it? Your horse is gone. And the man responded, he says, what I do know, uh, I, I do know about these things. Uh, I, I, I don't know. 
He says, a few days later, the horse came back with 20 other wild horses. And the neighbor came back and he said, amazing, it's not bad luck, it's good luck. You've got 20 more horses. And the man says, what do I know about these things? And the next day, his young son was going out to tame one of the new horses. And one of the young horses kicks the son and he breaks his leg. So his neighbor comes back and he says, terrible, isn't it? Your young son's leg is broken. Bad luck that these horses came. And the neighbor again says, the man says with the son, he says, what do I know about good luck and bad luck? And then a few days later, says a bunch of thugs are coming by and they're looking for recruits to join their gang. And they're looking at all the able-bodied young men. Uh, they're about to pick this man's young son, but they find out that his leg is broken. And they said, we don't want him. He says, we're going to move on to the next house. So the man's neighbor comes and says, good luck, isn't it? Your son's leg was broken. And the man says, uh, what do I know about good luck and bad luck? We'll see. And you go, what, what's the message in that? And, you know, the point is that we can be very, very short-sighted and we forget that God is eternal and that we are finite. That God, everything that he does is part of an eternal plan. Do we understand it? No. The book of Isaiah declares it, right? That his ways are high above our ways. His ways are beyond finding out. What we're doing is we're just scratching the surface. But I'll tell you what, the surface that we're scratching as we dig into the things of God, we're discovering or what? They're really pretty awesome to think that what God has in store for us, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. All things do what? They work together for good. Are all things good? Does the Bible say that? No. But all things do work together for good too. Again, as Paul is alluding to here in chapter 6, those are in the Lord to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And so again, whether you are a parent, whether you are a child, whether you're single, makes no difference today. God is working in and through your circumstances in your life to magnify his name for his glory and for your good. And the sooner we come to that conclusion, we, re we realize that God is good all the time. The better off, the more peace we're going to enjoy. That's why Jesus said, why do you worry about all these things? So why, why do you worry? He says, your heavenly father knows what you have need of even before you ask. And his desire is to provide those things for us. We're, most of the time he's providing, we're not even asking. That's how good God is. But his invitation is constantly to come back and, and to ask. And so then Paul, after he you know, speaks to kids and, and to children here in verse 4, he says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. You know, this is a really interesting you know, statement that Paul makes, especially in light of chapter 5, where Paul's dealing with marriage and, and the very specific roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives. You, you can go back and read that really quick in verse uh, 21 of chapter 5, he says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church." 
for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's not even talking about marriage there. He's talking about God's love for you and for me. And he uses marriage, he uses a beautiful marriage as the analogy there. He says, nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so Paul, he has no problem addressing husbands and wives and their responsibilities. But again, you know, he, you don't see him addressing mothers specifically. And you go, now some commentators believe that he's, you know, because they're one, that he's speaking to both of them. But I think in most cases, you know, what we find is when, when a woman carries a child in her body for nine months, there is a closeness that, you know, it's been well said when a child is born and the umbilical cord is cut, in the truest sense, it's never cut. There's a connection there. It's been well stated that, you know, many of our, our founding fathers, you know, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, upon their deathbed, they, even though their mothers had been deceased for, you know, decades, their last words were something that had to do with their mom, crying out to their mom. That's one of those things that you think about the, the, the relationship, this nurturing relationship that God desires that we have. And so it's a beautiful thing when you think about it. And so you look at in the first part of there in verse four, he says, and you fathers don't provoke your children to wrath. You know, again, I have a, you know, in my note asterisks here, nobody at home, I want you to, to pay attention to this, nobody at home should feel like they're competing with somebody at work. Nobody at home should ever feel like they're competing with somebody at work. Does your family, especially your kids in particular, dads, do they, do they feel like they're competing with your work? You know, and those are just things to, to take to heart. There's ways, and one of my favorite pastors, uh, this is a list that he made, and as I was listening to him share about parenting, I remember wrote these down. He wrote this about ways that we can provoke our children. And I added a few things that I just thought myself as I went along. And, and the first and foremost, you know, the ways that we provoke our children as, as fathers is by not loving their mother. And you know what? You can be divorced and still love their mother. And what I mean is have, we're called to even love our enemies. So if you have to use that in scripture and go, okay, well, how am I going to do that? Well, uh, however you need to do it. But again, it, your children didn't do anything wrong. And as a former youth pastor and now, you know, as a lead pastor in this church, you know, I deal with people, whether they're young or old alike, that punish themselves thinking that they're the reason that their parents got divorced. That as one of the greatest cruelties of hell, that a child would think that they're the reason that mom and dad got divorced. Or if they've ever been made to think that or believe that. And then again, to see the aftermath of it, and we're seeing it today in our society, because there is... There is a destruction of the family unit here, and we're seeing it. When you see more and more of our homeless population, and you build a relationship, and you start to have conversations, and you realize, hey, the, this is a lot more dysfunctional than even what I thought. And, you know, there's so much schizophrenia. I mean, you think about where people are talking to themselves. You go, well, when nobody else will talk to you, what do you end up doing? You know, and you go back, and we've had movies about it, you know, Castaway, and here's Here's Tom Hanks talking to a volleyball that has a bloody handprint on it, and it's a means of survival. And so you think about how do we provoke our children? So take these things to heart. You know, one, another way that we do it, we smother them. And again, I'm not going to go into the details of it. I'll just trust the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. 
that you favor one child over another. That's how you provoke your kids. Or you compare them to one another. Oh, you know, your brother or sister, you know, did this. That you have unrealistic expectations. You know, I've shared this many times that parents, you know, live vicariously through their children. Instead of understanding, you know, again, Proverbs 22, you know, train your children the way they should go. You know, your children, do you realize they have a natural bend in their life? God created them. They, they came from you, but they belong to God. They're on loan to us, and we need to remember that. And so we need to shape them towards God. Remember, as I shared with you earlier, the best thing you can do as a parent is encourage your kids always and, and help them take a step closer to Jesus every day. Is t- are, you ta- are, you, are you taking a step closer to Jesus? You know, I share it with you guys all the time because it's easier for me to remember quotes. It's keep Jesus between you and everything else. And that you can ask your kids that all the time. Keep Jesus between you and everything else. Discouraging them. You ever tell your kids, man, you're just just not good enough. You know, uh, your brother, your sister, you know, they do this, but you're not. You know, how about have you ever made your kids feel like they weren't wanted? You want to provoke your kids to wrath? Make them feel like they're not wanted. Make love a reward or a punishment. That's real common. You withhold love. Husbands and wives do it all the time. You know, they'll come down to sexual intimacy. Nope, it's withholding. Yeah, they're withholding. You go, why? Because it's a form of punishment. It's a form of control. And we do those things as adults. We do that with our kids. How about making your kids grow up too fast? You want to provoke your kids to wrath? Just rob them of the joy of being a kid. There's so much pressure, you know, that we want our kids to, you know, grow up and to do what? You go, you need to grow up and get a job so that you can spend the next 40 to 60 hours, you know, of every one of your work week doing stuff. So, you know, really? You go, you don't look like you're having a whole lot of fun doing it. You know, I see you sneaking off into my room and playing my, you know, Xbox, you know, mom caught you playing Mortal Kombat last week, you know, and you, hey, I was just checking it to make sure that it worked, you know. Uh, what are you doing watching Veggie Tales? Well, that's for the grandkids. The grandkids weren't in the room, you know, and you're going, oh, well, I kind of, I kind of like that. Barney, you know, you find yourself humming that, you know, in the bathroom. You know, I love you, you love me, you know. Yeah. Yeah, don't make your kids grow too fast. Physical and verbal abuse. And I'll tell you, if you're at that place, get some help. You know, the stress of this world, we all understand it. But there's never an excuse. It's never acceptable to abuse your children whether that was physical or verbal. Let me just say this, that, a, that yelling at your children is a psychological push. It's a shove. You're, you're shoving them and you're hitting them verbally. And I can tell you this, you know, psychology will back it up all day long. Not that we need that, but you go, but it's been proven that children will choose corporal punishment over being verbally accosted by their parents. They would rather be spanked than for you to say something harsh in your words. You, you can't take back the spoken word. I can't tell you how many spankings I got, you know, in life. You know, lost count of those, you know. But I can tell you the few times, you know, that my mom or my dad, my mom only said something to me once. You know, my dog got out and uh, she didn't go get him. And I couldn't believe it. It was like she let him, she just let him go. And she said to me something like, well, I didn't think he, like he was that important. And I said something to my mom I shouldn't have said, and my mom kicked me in the shin. 
Uh, she did. And she, my mom was only five foot tall, man, but she is like, wow. Yeah. But those things, you know what? You never forget them. They'll stick with you the rest of your life. Or how about just tease and taunt your children? Most of that's dads more than mom, you know. Here, you want some of my popsicle? Nah. It's like, nah. You know, Charlie Brown and Lucy pull the football. You know, yeah, we get that. No, it's one of these things that, again, the word provoke here, it just means to discourage. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And then it says, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And that's what I want to end with here is just reminding you, bring them up means to train, means to discipline. And, and again, this is a word to you fathers, really, but moms, you know, listen in. You, you discipline, again, this is so, so important that we don't miss this. We discipline with the goal of preserving the relationship and not your reputation. And the reason I say that is because dads oftentimes in public will discipline their children because they think that their, their children are making them look, you know, other than the way that they want to be viewed in a public place. And, and I remember it was Andy Stanley telling the story about his father, Charles Stanley, who is a, a pastor himself, and uh, they, they live in Atlanta. And I remember going back to a pastor's conference there, and we actually went to the varsity restaurant there and uh, ate. And, and Andy tells a story about he used to leave church, and he would go down uh, with Louis Gigliano, they went to church together and he and Louie would take off from church and they would go down to the varsity and they would turn, and he was smart. He would turn the television on to the station where his dad was preaching because it was actually broadcast live. So he'd catch a little bit of it. So then he would initiate the conversation with his dad on the way home from church going, dad, that was a really good point you made about that. And he goes, then his dad, would, oh, he, well, Andy must've been, you know, there in, in the service. Well, he never was. Well, then uh, Andy's dad or Charles, his secretary came to him one day and said, Hey, I just want to let you know, uh, Andy's been skipping out on church. And Charles was telling this story to, uh, to Andy. It was just, he and his dad one day going home from church. And he said, Hey, I just want to let you know, my secretary came and she told me that, you know, that you're, you're skipping out on church. And he said, and Andy just said, he sat there in the back seat and he's just like, Hmm. And he says, I just want you to know, I, I, this is what I told him, uh, honey, he said, I told my secretary, he said, uh, you know, you just let me worry about raising, you know, my kids and you just worry about raising yours. And he goes, and what that did for him is he goes, what it demonstrated, he goes, my dad knew I was wrong. He knew that I'd cut out on church. He, he knew everything about it, but he still defended me. He still put it on him. What the point being was that, uh, again, he was preserving the relationship he wasn't worried about his reputation. He didn't worry about, you know, what the, the secretary thought, you know, about him as a parent or anything else. And that, tell you, that, that says something about us as a parent because, again, we can, you know, and we should take pride and joy in the things and the accomplishments of our kids, but your kids belong to God. And again, they're on loan to us that we would live our lives in such a way. And I can tell you this, and moms, you know, would amen it happens all the time. Being a mom is probably one of the most thankless jobs there are on this planet. You know, that you, that you would think that all the things that you've done and that, you know, and to live with this understanding, you know, the Bible says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 
And to think that one day, you know, your, your son is going to go off and he's going to marry, you know, this woman. And it's interesting in most marriages, I kids I've discovered is most oftentimes the, usually the couple will end up most of the time back at the wife's house than they do at the son's house. It's just one of those things where, uh, I can't go down that road, <sighs> you know, <laughs> I have the last word every time in my family, right? It's yes, dear. You know, I am the head of my house and Lee is the neck that moves the head. I, I totally understand. I totally understand all those things. So I would never, never question that, you know, at all. But, uh, you know, the last thing, you know, I, I just want to remind you, you know, of especially both moms and dads, you know, that you have such a, a unique role. And I, and I want you to think about this, you know, that I, I have a very, very unique role in, in a few people's life. I, I am Lee's first and hopefully only husband, okay? But I, but I, am, and I am the father to Bree and Brett and Brandon, and I'm a grandfather, you know, to Reese and to Charlie and to Quinn, and, uh, and nobody else can fill those shoes. And one of the things I want to encourage you with, and I'm so blessed because, you know, we live in a world today where, you know, um, I, I was having a conversation with a, a, uh, one of the, he's not, uh, I don't believe he's on, that he's a pastor, but he's on staff at probably the largest church in Bakersfield. And uh, we, were, we were talking on Friday and uh, he came over to see me and uh, we were in my office and he said, uh, you know, Mike, he said, it's interesting. He said, you know, on a Sunday morning, uh, there's, you know, probably 4,000, 3,500, 4,000 people that come to church. And he goes, but Sunday night, he goes, it's probably down to about like a couple hundred people. And he goes, it's just life's different. He goes, um, families are busy and they're, they're, they have priorities. And he goes, we've done something at our church. He's really interesting. He said, I didn't think it'd ever come to this. He said, but like we have like a humongous, you know, children's choir and we have speaking parts and things. And he said, uh, um, what we've had to do is come up with a contract. And we tell parents, if you're going to have your kids in this, this is going to be the priority in your life for the next three or four months. It means no soccer playoffs, no baseball playoffs, no football playoffs. No, you can't say, oh, we've got an out-of-town game. He goes, we've heard it all. And they go, you're either going to make this a priority or don't get involved at all. And I'm like going, wow. He goes, like, what do they do? And he goes, they want to be involved? Then they sign the paperwork. And he goes, if they miss, then they're out. You know, and I go, wow. I go, and he goes, you know, and, and he said, it's just interesting. He goes, life is different today. There's so many things that compete for our relationship with God. And here's the apostle Paul giving, you know, probably the simplest instruction, you know, for, for us, you know, as parents, as moms and dads, you know, and children, as children, obey your parents. He goes, cause it's good. It's for your benefit. And, and, you know, moms and dads together, you know, don't, don't provoke your kids, you know, raise them up in the things of God. You know, and I can tell you this, I, I grew up playing sports. My dad was a coach. He was an official. I grew up in a sports home. That's all I did. It's all I ever wanted to do in my life. From the t earliest memory in my life, I wanted to play professional football. That was the only dream I had. It was the only thing I wanted to do. 
And I didn't know what to do. And part of it was how I came to know the Lord because I didn't know what to do when that dream wasn't going to become a reality. And it's what brought me to my relationship with God. And I praise him for that. But I look back now and I think of, uh, you know, the injuries that I've sustained. And I was never hurt, you know, in a way that, you know, I never had to have surgery for an injury or anything. But now just because of the years and everything settling, man, the pain, I, I mean, it just makes my heart break for, for people, whether they have brain injuries or, you know, whatever it is, you know, just trying to get out of bed, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm thinking about all the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and days and months that I spent doing that. And they were all fun. But I look back now, I think with some insight, I'm going, you know, if I'd had more balance in my life, but I didn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. That was our life. That was our identity. But I hope that, that today, you know, as as a parent, you know, as a husband and as a father that, you know, as a grandfather that I, my goal in this life is to help my children, is to help my church, is that you find your identity in Christ. That when you start to understand, and Ephesians is a great book to study, when you start to understand your place and your position in Christ and who you are, that the God who created the heavens and the earth, he created you and he created you in love. And he created you because you have value and you have worth and he wants a relationship with you. He's interested in you. Think about that. He didn't have to create you. The psalmist said he fashioned you while yet you were still in your mother's womb. And he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. But that number one plan and that purpose is not to go out and do something for him. It's simply to know him. And you're here on a Sunday. You could be doing a lot of things, but you're here you've made a decision in your life that, that your relationship with Jesus is important to you. And I couldn't tell you how thankful I am for you that that is in your life because I'll tell you what, it's gonna pay off in the long run. The dividends, you could say, are out of this world. All the things that we do in this life, we forgot stuff, we'll, you know, things, will, you know, they're gone, we'll never think back to them or remember them again. But I'll tell you what, the things that you invest, that's what as we've been studying in, in the book of Matthew, he said, store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. You know, that we start to understand that, hey, well, we were made for eternity and to start living, you know, for him now. And maybe you're here today and you go, man, I just, I struggle because I, you know, just haven't, I haven't been a good parent. I, I tell you, that, I told my wife this last week, I, I, there's so many things as I study the word of God and I go, man, Lord, I have, I have, blown it on so many fronts, you know, as a, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, um, there's, I just thank God for his grace. And I know that I, and just dealing with people on a day-to-day -day basis and you see the pain that people go through and then you, you know, and I think of Paul's admonition to the church in, in second Timothy, because the, the church can be the worst place. So like I told my wife, I go, if you can't go to church and, and experience his love and, and experience that community, you go, where do you go? And you look at what does this world do? The world's going to bars and they're going to all these places. And you go, uh, but when we start to understand who God is and the love that he has for us and the love that he wants us to have for one another, you go, this becomes a sanctuary. This was Larry was starting the service. This becomes where, man, the, the Holy Spirit comes and he, he really does fall on this place and he knits our hearts together and, and everyone leaves with this sense that, that God was present today 
And yeah, he, he brings correction to our life. You might be here, and like I said, there's conviction. You go, man, I haven't been a good husband. I haven't been a good, I mean, I had to study this out myself. I, I, don't, I don't take it lightly. And so I, I just want to encourage you, you know, don't, don't take this lightly. You know, I asked you, families are under attack. Many of your families are under attack today. And some of us have just given up because you're just tired. But there's a strength when we're weak. He makes us strong. Hold on to Jesus. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. He is king. He is God. And if you don't have that kind of relationship with him, just confess it and go, God, I want it. And start reading the word. Let it speak to you. Let him speak to you. His word really is a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path. He will change your life for his glory and for your good. And for the good of what? Our kids. What's the world going to come to? Well, a lot of that comes up to me and you. May we, may we bring him all the honor and the praise and the glory that he's due. As we close, let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for our families. As the Lord would just lead you. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that Lord, your grace in our life is so amazing. Lord, as I've been studying this this last couple weeks, it's so convicting in so many different ways. But Lord, I thank you that you're the God of the second chance, the third, the fourth. You said, they were asked how many times should we forgive, and you know, 70 times seven for the same offense in one day. Your love is amazing. It's captivating. It's all the things that we sing about and Lord, may we just continue to grow in the knowledge of your love. Because, Lord, it's that love that will impact every other relationship that we have. It's when we try to go the other way, thinking that how we treat other people is, you know, as a way that we start to love you. And it's, it's backwards. It's only as, Lord, we come into relationship with you and, and understand you as our Heavenly Father and all that you have for us that, Lord, we find the freedom and the hope and, Lord, the grace and the mercy, all the things that we have need of, Lord. We realize you've provided everything all along. And then it helps us. It gives us the empowerment, the security then to love other people. Whether they love us or don't love us, it makes no difference because we're secure in your love. We see that in Jesus' life. And Lord, may you work it in ours. And so we pray for, Lord, ourselves, that God, you would minister to us where we need grace today, that, Lord, we'd find it if we need forgiveness, and whether it be in our marriage and our parenting and our relationships with one another. Help us to know that there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And for moms and dads, I just pray for strength today. Lord, it's a crazy mixed up world we live in, and may you give them the wisdom that comes from heaven. Your word says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And Lord, you give it to us, it says, freely, without reproach. You'll, you'll lavish it upon us. And so, Lord, help us to look to you. And I thank you for each and every family that's here. I thank you for this day that, Lord, we could come together. And as Larry was saying, first service, that, or in this service, that we have people from both our first and second service who probably have never even met before. And our hope today is that, God, you give us opportunity to, to reach out and to to get to know one another, to know each other's story. There is a story to be told. There's a life to be appreciated. There's someone to be loved. And Lord, I pray that your love would be sensed and be known today in every heart that's here. We pray it again for your glory, Lord. 
and for our good as we pray these things. We do in the wonderful name of Jesus and all God's kids would agree saying, amen, amen. Let's get